You are listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast exploring scripture with Dr. T. Michael W. Halcombe and Dr. Frederick J. Long. Welcome and enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to Prove Text. I'm here with Michael Halcombe, my good friend. How are you doing, Michael? Um, all right. Thanks for asking. Um, beautiful day here in Hawaii. Um, yeah, doing okay. Well, great. We're uh, very, very fortunate and glad to be talking with with uh, Michael and to, to learn from him uh, and and to talk together about the Greek text. And so we've been working through Galatians. We're in chapter one, and we're going to start by having Michael read to us the Greek text. And so we can maybe listen to some patterns and uh, learn how to read the text. So this is an interesting one because it, it begins, it's sort of front loaded with a couple of of questions. Um, yeah. So tone is an interesting factor here. Uh, I, I guess in the last ones I thinking about, it, I read it kind of flat and without a lot of emotion, but um, I, I wonder what it'd sound like to sort of inject different tone into this, but here, so Artigar anthropus pito etonteon, e zeto anthropius areskin, e eti anthropius erescon, Christu dulos uk an amen. All right. Yeah. So definitely some emotion there. And I think we'll get, we'll talk about this, but is there a change in tone? Do we start to see a little bit of a change in tone? Uh, The perspective has changed. And uh, in terms of the the verbal um, person, right? Yeah. We saw in verse nine, um, this host clause that began it as we have said, but, and now again, I say, and then here there is a switch to I, uh, I, 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 and, and um, I think the issue, I think the underlying issue here is stated. And I think from a rhetorical perspective, verse 10 uh, starts asking these questions. And whenever you were trained in rhetoric and, and were analyzing a situation, one of the first steps is to identify the issue, is identify the core issue. I think 110 is an identification of a core issue in the form of questions. Yeah. Yeah. You mean like a thesis statement? Well, it could lead to a thesis statement, although here uh, it doesn't lead to a thesis statement. I think the thesis Mm -hmm. is in chapter two, but it's okay to have this issue stated up front. I mean, I think we're in the uh, proemium material. We're going to switch to the narration in in verse 11, where he's going to make known to them something, like that formula I make known to you, verse 11, uh, gonorizo. But here we're reaching kind of an initial statement of an issue. And uh, so yeah. our, our listeners may not be familiar with the formal rhetorical terminology. You just use a, a proemium or a narratio. So say a little bit about that. Yes. Real quick is that the beginning part of a, of a speech or a discourse uh, is called a proemium. And here it's an introduction that's supposed to kind of introduce the speaker and some of the topics a little bit, and especially to to warm up the audience and to form some sense of of goodwill uh, between the author or the speaker and the audiences. So it's a basic orientation with the intent to kind of establish relationship 
and uh, the the ethos of the speaker. And I think that's particularly established here is a kind of a firmness. Yes. And then, uh, and then Paul is asking these rhetorical questions and uh, disclosing the issue. And then you, from that, after the introduction, you can, if if the case or the situation warrants it, you can move into a a narration material or narratio, uh, diagesis in Greek. And there you lay out the basic history of the case that is relevant to the case. And we're going to see that Paul very beautifully lays out about himself and then a situation in Jerusalem. And then he's going to slide from that into this conversation with Peter which then kind of lays out the basics of the gospel. And it's, it's a master. Again, there's some questions there. I, if I remember correctly, it's a, it's a masterful way to kind of lead into a thesis statement. Right. Then Galatians will unfold in chapters. Kind of like, kind of like signposts, right? Like pointing. Yeah. These are little signposts. They're not supposed to be too obvious because anyone who's speaking rhetoric too, obviously it could be likened to a sophist. So re- rhetorical theoricians, uh, you know, said, don't be too obvious about this stuff. Mm. But on the other hand, there are optimal ways to talk to people. And right. this, these are just tried and true. And and, and we want to respect it. And it's a, really a way to honor people, I think, to to compose a, a nice discourse. And we, we have to remember that these are not simply letters that Paul wrote these to be read aloud. And so they would have been performed. His letters are not personal letters that are shorter than the ones from antiquity, much shorter than personal letters are. These are longer theological, communal, argumentative. Sermonettes almost, right? Yeah, they're they're sermonettes. Yeah, exactly. So what do you see happening in verse 10? Now, this is interesting. Um, So we have this first question, right? And the the Greek text I'm looking at, the Bible works Greek text, I think it is, or SBLGNT, I'm not sure exactly which one, but they place the first question mark after that tone theon. So mm-hmm. he's essentially asking, you know, so now am I trying to persuade uh, people or God? Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think I always am fascinated by the placement of punctuation in these texts. Um so one of the things that I've I've discovered, I guess, in, in my studies here is that I, I think most people view this as a rhetorical kind of question. Um, and I guess they're thinking it expects the answer no. I mean, is, are you you're familiar with that perspective or no? Well, I mean, the questions in Greek, right, they could be composed in such a way that they clarify whether the question is to be expected as a, I mean, expecting a yes or no answer. These questions are not marked that way. Right. So uh, we, we don't have, for example, an ook or anything like that here. Yeah. I, I think when he's asking, uh, am I trying to persuade uh, people or God? I tend to lean toward the answer people. Um, giving an alternative there that a that conjunction a is given two options who am i trying to persuade yeah Yeah, is persuading a good thing or a bad thing yes certainly right uh he is he it's a good thing for paul i mean we, we find this 
um, verb used elsewhere, I believe, but literally that's what it mean, means. It's a rhetorical term, um, pitho, right? So he is trying to persuade people. And I guess the next question is, of what? Yeah, now this word pitho, I mean, the could be positive or negative. Right. So carry a negative connotation. Am I trying to cajole? But he uses in the next question, I think, the, the word that makes me think it positively. Yeah. Think it positively. So in the next one, he says, or yeah. Yeah. right. Um, uh, so Zeto Anthropius Areskin. Yeah. Um, am I seeking to please people? Yeah. And I think there's a difference between Pitho and Aresco, right? So, and the answer here is, I think implied, uh, no, I'm not trying to please people. I'm trying to persuade them, but I'm not trying to please them. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah, I, Michael, I've never considered this use of pitho here. It is under BDAG, the lexicon, standard lexicon, uh, Bauer, Danker, Arndt, Gingrich, definition C, to win over, strive to please. And there's a couple references, Acts 12, 20 and fourteen mm-hmm. nineteen. And then, so they say, so perhaps also Galatians one ten, Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So possibly to please, am I pleasing people or God? Am I seeking to please people? So, yeah. So the second question there could help explain the positive nature of this word in terms of striving to please or winning over. And so uh, I think the issue here is the assumption would be that Paul has already won over God or God's already won over Paul. Mm, <laughs> so yeah. he doesn't need to win over God, but he does need to win over people. And he, he doesn't want to do, he doesn't want to win them over by pleasing them, trying to please them. Right. In the very next clause, he's going to say, look, if I'm trying to please people, then I would not be a servant of Christ. Yeah, that's really good. So he's threading the needle. This is, and this is so typical of Paul, where he walks around something. And um, so on the one hand, he has this need to persuade people and make appeals to them and these kinds of things. But, uh, uh, but on the other hand, his goal is not to please them. Yeah, exactly. Often with oratory, and, and rhetoric, there was a, there is a temptation to please people, and the oh wind- man, you're you're preaching to preachers right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you thread that needle uh, between the two to be faithful to God, speak to people, but then stay faithful as a servant of Christ? And that's basically what verse ten is about. It's really hard. It's really, really. I'm a I'm a preacher, and uh, boy, is it hard. I just, um, I don't even know if I should tell this story, but whatever, I'm going to tell it because I'm not trying to please people. Uh, tell us after the break? <laughs> yeah, I'll do it after the break. Yeah. So. yeah, let's take a break here and we'll come back and hear Michael's story. Looking for creative ways to launch your biblical language studies to the next level? We here at Glosa House create resources with you in mind. We've created a stock of innovative and cutting-edge audio, video, digital, and print resources to help you reach your language goals. Visit glosahouse.com to find what you've been looking for. Glosa House. 
language resources for the global community. All well, right, buddy. Yeah, go <laughs> interrupted me. We started at the same time. Yeah, so yeah. we're back, and I'm gonna tell a story. Um, a short short story. Uh, I don't know if I should tell this, but it might get me in hot water. I don't know. I'll deal with it if it does. Um well, do we need another break for you to think about that some more? <laughs> no. Um so uh, I'm I guess uh, I'll just say it like this. So over Christmas, um, you know, people send out Christmas cards and Christmas letters and, you know, sort of reflect on the previous year and give an update. Well, this year I received one of the worst Christmas cards I've ever received in my life. And it was, it had the pictures of the family and it had the letter, what they had done all year. And then there was a staple you know, a stapled piece of paper attached to the back of the letter. So I flipped it over and read the second page. And it was a person from the congregation, or I, I serve, saying, um, we're leaving. We're, we're leaving the bridge. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because uh, the preaching is too educated. The vocabulary is Hmm. too i guess academic or difficult and um we find it frustrating so we're leaving and like well that that christmas letter by the way didn't just go out to me although it targeted me um it went out to pretty much everyone in the congregation and threw me under the bus had this uh person or persons had they talk to you about this no. matter or no before? i had tried uh, to reach out to them uh, yeah. both the both spouses right both the husband and the wife um and i had texted and at least half a dozen people from the congregation had tried to do the same nothing just echo chamber right Cut silence button burn and mm-hmm. um so you know in this case uh, you can start to have these mind games going on with you. And I was wondering like, look, am I just not a good fit? This is actually the second person who said this. Um, and I called several people in the congregation cause I knew they received the, the letter too. And one of the people was like, I was so offended by this letter because they're making us local people look stupid and uneducated like we can't learn like we can't hang with you like we can't mature in our faith um and she said i was so offended by that not just for you but because it made me and everyone else in the congregation here look stupid Mm. um like like we can't understand you and uh so that was one of the perspectives i heard on it but you know, I'm, you know, I was thinking, am I a good, not a good fit? Started to question myself. And, yeah. you know, a couple of people said, no, 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 you are a really good fit. You know, you, you belong here. Like, mm. this is what we need. And, um, and, and it's one of those instances where for a moment as a very sort of confident person, as a confident preacher and scholar, 
um, I stepped back to question myself and yeah. uh, does now I, I want to learn a lesson from it regardless. Does something need to change? Do I need to tweak something? But this is an instance where ultimately it boiled down to me saying, look, my goal isn't to, to please people. Um, my goal is to edify the body of Christ and to help grow people up in their faith. And if I have to step on toes, I'm going to do that. If I have to challenge people to stretch, I'm going to do that. It's all about giving the spirit more to work with. And look, if they're not willing to stretch and grow and be intentional about that, that's on them. Am I seeking to persuade them? Yes. Am I seeking to please them? Absolutely not. Um, if I were seeking to do that, then uh, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's very well put, you know, to, to think through that. I think a lot of us are tempted to be people pleasers. For some people, uh, you know, they, they tend towards that. Others, like, don't give a crap, you know. And that comes across to them. But, you know, but yeah, I, I think this is a question that we need to ask. Who are we pleasing? Who are we seeking to please? And in scripture, it's very clear that we're to please God. Uh, love people, certainly. Try to convince them, absolutely. But please them? No, no, not at all. Yeah. So thanks for sharing. I hope you don't lose your job over that. But, uh, <laughs> you have a place before the house. I have, I have this guy in the congregation who comes up to me pretty frequently after my messages and goes, he says, uh, he's got this sort of stock phrase he uses. I look forward to seeing where you end up after this. <laughs> <laughs> Is he on the board? Did you say? <laughs> he's not. But, okay. Okay. Because um, Maybe something if, uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. So these two questions in verse 10, I, I would consider them open questions that he wants them to think about. Right. Right. He's not yeah. hedging one way or the other. And, you know, you and I can posit answers. And I think you're right that 10A is, you know, uh, he's trying to persuade people. Yeah. Um, he's not trying to wrestle God into some position of submission uh rather he as we're going to see god has wrestled him into a position of submission and so and then the second question is an alternative or am i seeking to be pleasing to people and both those are present tense which is suggesting like ongoing action so is this something that i i am doing and is paul a people pleaser and i think you know, we're going to see, no, he's not. And, uh, and then we have this final conditional statement. I should say that 10, 10 is supporting the previous verse with the guard yeah, right. there. And so that we have to think, well, what is the logic there? How does 10 support what, what has gone before? And I think it supports it in terms of the fact that, uh, he is not pleasing people, and sometimes that means that you put them out. You have to say, call a spade a spade, and you call people out, and they you have to say anathema. Let them be anathema. So he's trying to convince them uh, to take certain actions, and that is to expel people, I think. Yeah. If that's yeah. what it 
Yeah. Um, real quick before we end here, I mean, he uses this Christu uh, Dulos, uh, um, you know, servant of Christ, and that often can carry, you can do that Dulos as slave of Christ as well, or slave of the anointed one, um, if we want to handle Christos that way. But, um, you know, if I'm seeking to please people, I'm not, I wouldn't be a servant or a slave of the anointed one. Yeah. Which raises a lot of interesting questions. Uh, but I'm, I'm really always, I find it so thought provoking and just provocative. This sort of, um, I guess, a paradox or an irony in Christianity that, that s- slavery is the ultimate freedom, uh, yeah. at least from Paul's perspective, right? So being a slave to Christ, when you are enslaved to him, you are literally and actually at free. your freest. Yeah. For where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Man, that is from Second Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, I think it's around verse 18. It's amazing. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Yeah. yeah. So this this last construction here, this a eti anthropis this is uh this is a conditional sentence that has e with the imperfect indicative followed by on with the imperfect indicative and this is what is called a present contrary to fact condition hmm. and if you want to read up on conditions and types of conditions and their exegetical implications be sure to see Chapter 26 of my Koine Greek grammar. I love conditional sentences. I adopt a classical Greek grammar model of them that's found in classical grammars. And uh, it's exegetically very significant. This condition basically admits to being uh, presented as untrue. So if I were still pleasing people, which I'm not, then I would not be a servant of Christ, which I am. Mm. So in each case, um, it's it's reversed of what, what is, is stated. So he's positing this from the perspective of, of a hypothetical, but he's admitting that it's it's not true. So yes. in fact, he is a servant of Christ and but and he is not still pleasing people. Well, that, that goes back to the previous point I was making that if he were pleasing people, he would be enslaved and not free. That's right. He would constantly be enslaved to trying to please them. That's right. But yet, as a slave of Christ, he is actually freed from trying to please people. And now his sole goal is to please Christ. Yeah. Right. Um, the anointed one. So I love that. I just love the. Yeah. The, the irony or the paradox, whatever it is, you whatever you want to call it there. Yeah. I just love that. And there's yeah. a couple stresses here. The Christu is placed in a forward position to Dulo. So really stressing Christ's, the anointed one servant. And then the eti there, the e eti, if I were still pleasing people, which would suggest that at one time he was mm. pleasing people. Yes, that's a great <laughs> point. He is not pleasing people. And we're gonna we're gonna get a support for that still with the gar in verse eleven. For I want you to know, uh, so mm. we're gonna be supporting the ideas of verse ten, 
and and the narrative material that followed, we're going to see how, in fact, he was pleasing people, but now he is serving Christ. Yeah, I love, love, love that. Um, seems well, so like easy to miss. Uh, yeah, like these little nuances. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you have a parting shot? Or do yeah, I- um, it's kind of funny. Uh, this one comes from Zig Ziglar. I mean, the quote's not funny. It's just funny that it comes from Zig Ziglar. Um, but I, I like the quote, so it is what it is. I'm not trying to please people. Um, <laughs> if you're not willing to learn, no one can help you. If you're determined to learn, no one can stop you. Wow, that yeah. is great. I love this uh, t- t- twist and turns on things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much, my friend, Michael. And we're going to end this episode. We'll look forward to having you listen to us next time. Thanks, Fred. You're welcome. Take care, everybody. Aloha.